Welcome to the first ever episode of the State of Play podcast. I'm Pep Barisha and today I'm joined by my co-host Matt Santangelo. How you doing man? Pretty good. It uh, feels good to finally get this off the ground and get the first episode rolling. How are you doing today? Not too bad. It's not really as warm as it has been for the rest of the week in, in London. How's the weather down in uh, in, the, in the US? Humid. Um, I mean, today's been pretty decent, but it's 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 been a humid you know phase of the summer right now. So I'm kind of just ready for the fall. And when fall comes, obviously we know football's coming. So it's uh, it's great though. Yeah, very excited for the new season. You've just been watching the Italy under 19s, right? A bit of heartbreak for you. Yeah, that was a crazy one. Uh, Italy were down two zero. They looked like they were out of it. All of a sudden, Moise Kane, uh, we'll get, which we'll probably get into in this uh, recording, puts two goals in within a minute, minute and a half. And then it kind of went back and forth, seesaw fair in extra time. And, and you know, unfortunately for me, uh, Portugal wound up winning. But uh, it showed some uh, some fight, some good talent from Italy and, you know, some hopeful uh, first teamers down the road. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, Moise Keane looks at a real talent, but we'll get on to him a lot later. So, Matt, what are we going to do with this podcast? What are we actually going to be talking about throughout however many episodes we do in the future? We're going to be talking about pretty much the main stories. We're going to not so much delve into what's going on in the news because I feel like things are kind of forever changing, forever evolving, and it's tough to kind of get the content out at the, at the time when it's hot. What we're trying to do is cover the big stories around some of the top leagues in Europe. And, you know, t- obviously we're going to touch on MLS as well, which is, is something that we definitely are happy to uh, start catering to with an audience that we hope to grow with. So, yeah, we're going to be covering the biggest and, and most important stories across European football and, and really world football in general. So we hope you guys will uh, join us for the ride. Yeah, and hopefully we can make you laugh a, a little bit on the way as well, <laughs> as well as give you some, some great insight. But why don't we get straight into it, Matt? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So the first and kind of headline story that I wanted to talk about, especially and probably know a bit more about or I want to know a bit more about is kind of the Italian football financial troubles that have been circling around Serie A and Calcio football at the moment. And Bari, Reggiana and Cezana were all declared bankrupt from a tweet that I saw from yourself, actually. So how did that happen and, and what's actually going to happen to those football clubs? Well, a lot of these clubs in the lower divisions, um, they're not really... The, the upkeep, if you will, with, you know, the stadium grounds, uh, you know, the paying the players on time, all these different factors come into play. And then it really leads to just a, a, a just an unfortunate situation. I mean, obviously, obviously, most people know what happened with Parma, um, you know, several years ago, where they went bankrupt. And a, and a team like Parma, who, who obviously have, you know, a long storied um, history in Syria, they've, I mean, they had, the, you know, the 98, you know, 97, 98 era, where you know they had Buffon, uh, Thuram, they had all these you know, Crespo, they had all these star players, and then to see a team like that kind of go bankrupt um, with such a big fan base—not even just in Italy, but really around Europe—there's a lot of fans of you know uh, Parma that are uh, outside the peninsula. So to see a team like them, you know, have to battle that situation was was unfortunate for uh, everyone involved in the Calcio world. And then when you see teams like Bari and Reggiana and Chasenia kind of follow that same path, it's it's very unfortunate. It's, it's not something you like to see because we all know what football means to the you know the the, the, the fans, the people of some of these cities they belong. And with, what we are seeing here is just the lack of organization, the lack of um, keeping you know the, the clubs financially stable investing where they need to be investing and things like that there's I, I, for whatever reason i think it's kind of so difficult to really just put into words as to why it's actually happening 
I think that's something that that we're still kind of just slowly beginning to to realize and, and to figure out. But I, I think it kind of just boils down to um, a lack of, I guess, keeping with the times. I mean, there's a lot of things in Italy, um, for those who are listening who have visited Italy, uh, there's a lot of things that are, are are outdated. They're not up to date with with the current times, and I think whether that's the sole reason as to why these teams are are, are falling out of favor and really declaring bankruptcy, maybe has a, a little role in there. But I think it's just a, it's just really complex for us to kind of boil it down to one or two reasons. I think it's 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 just you know you don't see many of these teams um, you don't see many teams going bankrupt, but the fact that you're seeing you know. Teams like Bari, who have been in Serie A, you know, plenty of times. Reggiana, Chesenio, these t- clubs have had been in Serie A recently. They're not like they're, you know, uh, teams that are uh, Serie G or you know Serie D or really just you know kind of dropped off. And okay, it's they've they're they're known they're prominent teams and prominent clubs in in Calcio. So it's 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 we got to wonder: is it the ownership? Is it the people involved? Are there all? ulterior motives from some of the people involved who really knows but it's again it's just sad to see this because we know i interact with so many people on twitter and you know not everyone's a uva fan not everyone's a milan fan not everyone's a napoli fan roma inter you know lazio whatever these there's a lot of fans of these clubs out there and then there was even a video i saw i forgot where i saw it, but there was like a reggiana fan an old an old gentleman like crying um and you can you can kind of get a sense a guy's probably a fan for his whole whole life maybe 60 years 50 years and all of a sudden you know he sees a team that he loves so much and holds dearly to his heart ripped away it just kind of uh, it's a tragic scene and and it's something that i hope uh Kauchu can improve on um, as a as a collective um you know, moving forward because it, we just don't want to see this we really don't and i think the reason why i was so shocked is because it doesn't really happen all that often in the uk so when I saw three clubs happening, being bankrupt at the same time, it, it really was quite shocking. And I did feel for all those fans of those clubs. And uh, you've brought nearly a tear to my eye talking about that old gentleman there. I, I hope that maybe these, these teams can get bailed out or, or something happens where they, they're reinstated under, the, uh, under a new brand. I, I know that we've seen that quite a lot in the UK. But it's not only happened in the, in the lower divisions of Italy, has it? I mean, the club that you hold dear to your heart, AC Milan, had some financial issues quite recently where they were out of the Europa League and then reinstated into the Europa League like do you want to run us through what actually happened like A to B take us right back to the start with the ownership problems so I mean really a lot of it started um, or I'm not going to go too much into what happened at the end of the Silvio Berlusconi uh, reign because obviously we knew he really wasn't putting the financial investments needed to keep Milan you know relevant in the thick of things and competing in uh, for both you know domestic honours and European honours which we're so accustomed to seeing them do once he once he actually sold the team to uh Lee Young Hong last summer there's Milan fans that were they were they were jubilant because uh, you know they they wanted to, they wanted so badly to see Milan finally get the investment finally start competing once again like they they should be and I, but they're in the back of their mind of minds of some on the outside who've maybe not you know, Milan fans specifically but really just Calcio observers or um, journalists or people who really kind of know know Milan enough or know Calcio enough to kind of distinguish well who's real and who's not. There was always that little bit of concern that you know is this guy legitimate? Is he a guy that has the money to uh, keep Milan moving forward, build a project, and ultimately restore order to the Rossoneri? And what we found out as the season progressed. And as, you know, James Palota, the owner of Roma, even called him out and had his doubts as well. And he came out publicly and said it. I, we started to kind of see the writing on the walls is that 
all right, like Milan aren't aren't in good hands, and sure enough, uh, they were uh, Leong Hong uh, Li Hong's Milan was uh, the seized control. They, they see, uh, Elliot seized control of him, uh, his Milan, um, after he defaulted on his loan debt, uh, loan obligation. Excuse me, and now all of a sudden they're uh, being ran or operated by a hedge fund. Now, initially, what happened was uh, they were banned from Europa League because a lot of their finances, their uh, their standing really didn't give off much uh, positivity in the eyes of UEFA and the governing bodies and everyone involved there. But once they Elliot took control and they started to see what Elliot was doing and their intentions for Milan, uh, you know, mostly are centered around stabling the finances, a financial side of things for the club because we all know that they were in a bad spot. It was overruled, and miraculously, uh, in a matter of weeks, it, Milan have changed ownership, had been reinstated from Europa League, and are going after you know Iguain and Matiel Caldara, and possibly selling their captain Leonardo Bonucci after one year. So it's it's crazy to think that you know we're we're dealing with this right now, but it's kind of I always say, but you know, for better or for worse, Milan are always kind of stealing headlines. <laughs> and you know you must have been sweating like not knowing whether or not you're going to see your precious Milan in in the Europa League right yeah you know that that was the frustrating thing too and I think there was a lot of people that were hearing um I'm sorry you, my, my dog is barking I I, I can't <laughs> all right so with, you know with with Milan's Europa League status um you know with them being pretty much reinstated there were some mixed reviews because I, I think we also see Milan as a team with uh, Champions League pedigree seven Champions League trophies that's where people want to see Milan. So if, I mean, it's tough to, tough, tough to really talk about because, you know, I, I interact with a ton of people all day and some were saying, well, is it good that we're being stated in Europa League? I mean, it's another competition, yes. And, you know, obviously you want to be playing in the bigger competitions. But then there's also that part of, of them where, the part of the fan base where people are, yeah, but it feels like it's kind of, you know, affecting our domestic competition. It's affecting the way we approach a top four uh, chase. And so there's kind of the two sides of the uh, of the story. But I don't know. For me, I think it's good. I think it's something that can help the club still attract some, some quality players. And it's still, it looks as though it's, it's a step forward. I think if Milan were, um, if Milan were, uh, you know, disqualified from the the competition, it would be a, a pretty big stain on their image, and I think it would look pretty bad for them in in this scenario. So for me, I'm, I'm I am happy that they're reinstated. I think it's a positive step, but I think I, I there's that side of me where it says that there's the possibility that it's going to affect what Milan really want to accomplish, and that's getting back into top four. So it's kind of like a give or take, but. I guess I can't really complain when the team's back into a competition, which can get them, you know, additional money, some possible uh, new addition, uh, additional players, and so on and so forth. And speaking of additional players off the pitch, uh, you guys are actually apparently gunning for the Arsenal CEO. So you're trying to poach my club CEO, uh, even Gazidis. What's going on there? Yeah, so it's uh, Milan's. Uh, everyone knows what's going on. At least they're somewhat aware. Is that Milan's completely overhauling their front office again? First, it was the owner Elliot in, Lee Yong Hong out. Then it was um, Marco Fasone, the CEO, sacked. They're still working on who's going to fill that role um, overall. But then they brought in uh, Leonardo for uh, Massimiliano Mirabelli, 
And now, of course, they're looking to assemble just a completely new board and a completely new front office, and they've looked towards uh, Ivan Gassidis of Arsenal. Now, that's kind of getting Arsenal fans back involved. I've had people DMing me and asking me, is Gazidis really going to join Milan? Have you heard anything? What's going on there? Because I think it's kind of quite clear, and you can probably attest to this, is that they hold him in quite high regard. They think he's a good person to have uh, involved in, in the brain trust and making the decisions. Um, I, I read something uh, a couple days ago, actually, that I, I think on the Bloomberg business page has been updated, or his profile has been updated on the Bloomberg business page, and it says, like, AC Milan CEO. Or, so some people are kind of like, is this true? Did someone, like, hack the account? Is it, uh, you know, maybe it's a, uh, a Tottenham <laughs> fan hacking the Bloomberg business account? Uh, who really knows? But it, it's, it's really just an interesting thing that's going on with Milan. I hear... So many different names and coming in and out of rumors, and I don't know. I mean, I, again, this is where it really comes down to picking the sources, the most reliable sources to get your news from. But with him, I think it looks like it's it's a possibility. Although I know I think Arsenal came out with a public statement denying any type of uh, you know rumors or denying any type of links to because um, he just going to Milan. But again, we really don't know. We've heard many times you know with clubs denying players, oh we're not interested, we're not interested, and all of a sudden a deal happens. So I guess we'll have to kind of play it by ear. Yeah, you're right. But that statement was quite strange. And it was by Arsenal chairman Sir Chips Keswick. I've got it right in front of me here. And and it's a very short, punchy statement, but it's not definitive and it's quite vague. So it's a lot of quite punchy sentences, one after the other, that are very like... Uh, wishy-washy so uh, he goes on to say we are aware of the speculation surrounding our chief exec even Gazidis we know he receives many offers from organizations inside and outside the game as he's a hugely respected figure he has never accepted any of these opportunities and has never spoken about them publicly he has always been fully committed to taking Arsenal forward and is currently working hard in Singapore with our new head coach Unai Emery as we prepare for the new season so what strikes me there he has never spoken about them publicly as in he's never spoken about these opportunities and he has always been fully committed to taking Arsenal forward these are all kind of past tense things and then they then go on to say he's currently working in Singapore with our head coach Unai Emery as we prepare for the new season so they're not talking about his personal preparations they're talking about Arsenal as a football club with him in- involved in that and I think there's there's been some things there where what actually happens to even Gazidis after he's kind of assembled these Avengers, obviously Unai Emery, Raul Sohili, uh, they've got um, Darren Burgess as the head of high performance, uh, obviously himself in the CEO role, and they have uh, Misseltat, obviously the, the former Dortmund head of scouting, who's, who's head of talent or whatever his position is at Arsenal. So he's got himself quite a strong board there, but how involved even Gazidis is at Arsenal in terms of football now may have... Uh, decreased as he's kind of hired all these people which is quite ironic and now maybe with his former links to, to the Elliot group he's he's looking for a new challenge in Milan and he's looking at a club who may need that revamp on the board level which he's obviously successfully done at Arsenal and now he can go and do that at Milan and obviously Italy's not a bad place to live is it Matt? Well, no, I have, of course, you know, I, I've, as someone who visited Milan before, I know it's uh, it's very beautiful, and you know, for uh, someone who's a high exec, someone who has money, I'm sure it's even uh, more extravagant and more <laughs> enjoyable for them. But now, with look, I think with, with in Milan situation, you can see it under the new ownership is they're trying to get the right guys involved. Um, we've heard Maldini kind of being mentioned as a possible uh, recruit, although that's kind of you know 
in the, in the up in the air right now. But when you look at Leonardo, who you know played for Milan, he coached Milan, he coached Inter, he was a sporting director for PSG. Now all of a sudden he's back at Milan, though some ultras are a little bit kind of on the fence with that they had like a statement or like a tifo that that, that would be fun if we if we got like a little uh little voice note from an ultra on the on what's going yeah, on yeah that, that, like that would right i mean it'd probably have a lot of expletives <laughs> but it's, it's it's kind of a weird situation and it feels like at this point milan they're really just trying to get a lot of the right people involved and i think again if you know it speaks volumes that a guy like Gasidis, who again is held in high regard he is um appreciated uh, amongst Arsenal fans, the fan base, obviously the club as well, that he would leave that situation, which is obviously right now more stable, for a, a club like Milan who are in their own pretty, you know, kind of a rocky situation right now. I think that, again, that's just a testament to the brand of Milan that it's although has taken a somewhat of a hit recently of the past couple of years um, at the end of Sergio Berlusconi's era and then you know this this blemish under uh, the Chinese ownership that it's still it's, it's still appreciated it's still revered it still has that allure uh, that makes it so appealing for a guy like Azidi. so again it's going to be interesting to see my guess is is, is something like this maybe once. The season starts. Maybe we'll start kind of have it a little bit more defined because I think Milan are trying to round out their um, their front office. They're trying to get everything kind of settled with it so they can kind of uh, move into the season without having to have these situations and these kind of negotiations going on. So this is something that could heat up, um, you know, in a matter of days. Really, you know, once we put this out, I'm sure we'll probably hear more developments on it as well. But it's 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 obviously uh, evolving. It's an evolving story that uh, we should definitely keep an eye on. Mm, most certainly so and just zooming out slightly Matt why are scandals and financial situations uh, negative situations still present in Italy more than anywhere else in Europe I, I think it goes back to what what the motive of some of these owners are have what, what their what their motives are is it to really operate a club is it to, to win trophies is it a, is it grounds for something else? You know, maybe there's there's a reason why they're just because. I mean, how many times in sports do we see that there's a lot of owners who who own the club but they don't put the money in the the maintenance of trying to maintenance of, of of certain things is is not up to up to par. And a lot again, a lot in Italy with these lower division teams. Uh, I think that's you're, you're seeing. I mean, I, I've been to the San Siro and I've also been to Allianz Stadium for Juve. And you can kind of see this, the stark the differences between the two. Is that I mean, San Siro obviously is very it's hallowed ground, of course, but it's outdated. The facilities are are, are, are way past their prime. And then you see a team like Juve, who's you know, they're they're self sufficient. They have their own stadium. It's more current. It feels like a a more Americanized uh, football stadium. And I think again, there's a lot of those uh, instances in some of these lower divisions, and, and even with some of these clubs in Italy at the bottom of uh, of uh, the Serie A table, you most for most years, is that they, it's just it's kind of they're just kind of going through the motions. It feels like they're really just trying not to improve, and, and you see that with a lot of these, you know, unlike with some of these teams in like these other leagues, like you know Premier League, who do a great job. Their money's there, obviously. They got the TV rights deal, which is massive. I think the the, the intentions of the owners owners of between late leagues varies quite a bit and i think that's something that we have to keep an eye on in italy because it, it seems like every other year every year there's always a financial hardship or a financial situation that our club is going through and it's it's not something again you want to see because the fans have to suffer as a result of it their teams now all of a sudden maybe you know getting dropped to the lowest divisions of the of uh Serie A football I mean not Serie A football of Italian football and now all of a sudden they you know they suffer as well because we all know how much of an impact you know football has on on 
certain people's lives. So I think it kind of really comes down to the people making the decisions and their lack of, uh, you know, competence, you know, um, investment, and, and really just their overall care for what they're controlling. And I think that's what's kind of leading us down this uh, this wrong path. Mm, hopefully we don't see that many more Italian clubs in, in financial trouble in the, in the future. But Matt, look, we've got to move on. And this is going to be our first transfer saga. And we're staying in Italy just for you. And it's the Higuain, Caldara and Bonucci. What the hell is going on there, man? I'm like literally over here in England. It, it seems that every single day it, it changes between Higuain going on loan to, to Milan, a very ins- expensive loan by the sounds of it, or going permanently to Chelsea for about 50 million euros. So what's actually going on? Well, first, it all really started with Leonardo Bonucci uh, leaving Juve last year in a shock move to Milan. I think most people really were kind of stunned by that because Milan were going through this whole you know ownership change, uh, you know, spending a lot of money, there's questions around it. Now, all of a sudden, he goes to Milan, leaves Juve um, after, you know, I think six, seven years. Um, and it was a kind of people saying, like, you're really going to leave for Milan, like a rival. You're not leaving, you know, to go to like a Chelsea or City, which he was rumored to be linked with um, last year, last summer, and, and really throughout the entire entirety of the season prior. That's where I think a lot of this kind of all started because now we're looking a year down, a year, a year you know, a year later. And now Bonucci's like, I want to come back. I pretty much don't believe in Milan's project right now. I made a mistake. It was kind of one of those situations, it looks like. And now all of a sudden, Milan have a disgruntled, unsettled captain. And now it's just like, well, you can't go into this season with this guy because now it's a, it could be a possible distraction. Now the manager, Gattuso, has to deal with it, among many other things you know, behind the scenes with ownership and all these different things. He's This is not... It's a problem now. So... What I'm hearing or what I read is that Bonucci was the first one to really start this. He was the one that kind of went to um, Milan. And I think you know, that's where he pretty much said, like, his, you kind of want to get, kind of get the ball rolling here and get these things in motion where a comeback to Juve was possible. That's where the dialogue started with between Beppe Bonotta, the, uh, the director for Juve, um, Milan's new sporting director, Leonardo. And that's where kind of we're at right now. Of course, Milan don't want to put with Bonucci as their captain. He still has value despite having a little bit of a down year, a rocky year last year under uh, Montella first. And then uh, Gattuso before, when, but when Gattuso got in, obviously he improved, much like the entire team. Milan need a replacement now. They're not just going to get rid of their captain, a guy who still has tremendous value, who's still in the prime of his career. And that's where they're looking at Mattia Caldara, the 24-year-old um, central defender they got from Atalanta, who's considered to be alongside Romagnoli, the future central defensive pairing of the national team. So that's kind of what the holdup has been now, is that Juve are very reluctant to part ways with Caldara because they're looking at their defensive unit right now. Chiellini, Benatia, Barzagli, a lot of guys who are on the, uh, the worser end of 30 so they don't want to part with these these gems that they consider you know pillars for the future, but now they're they but they also are in that spot where they just bought Cristiano Ronaldo. They have pretty much three years a three year window here to win the Champions League, which is something that has, has escaped them for for many years. So now that's kind of like there's needs on both ends, and there's a kind of there's situations on both ends that need to be resolved. And that's where it kind of is where we're at right now. But of course, Milan are looking at. Gonzalo Iguain because they need a striker, right? They haven't had a, a prolific top striker since Zlatan Ibrahimovic left for PSG in 2012. 
So now you have him in, in the mix, and it looks as though right now, the last I've read, though it's kind of, again, I'm, I'm hearing from multiple different outlets what's going on here, is that it's Milan's proposing or they're looking to work out a deal where Bonucci would be sent back to Juve after one year. Mattia Caldara would be his replace, replacement at Milan to kind of partner with Alessio Romagnoli. And they would be able to get Gonzalo Higuain on a loan, a 15 to 16 million loan uh, loan with an obligation to buy, I think, at about 35, kind of equating to about 50 to 55 million overall in value. So it's interesting because, you know, obviously Juve have ambitions and different ambitions than Milan do. That's why Milan are looking to part ways with a veteran defender for a young guy they can build around and build a project around uh, or be at least be a big part of it. Whereas Juve are looking to win right now and also along the way try to shed some of that uh, that financial baggage that Gonzalo Higuain has, although he's very still very good and still a, a, an effective striker. They just got Ronaldo, they have Dybala, they have Mandzukic. Higuain really doesn't fit much in that equation. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But then you also have uh, Joe Chelsea and, and uh, you know, Maurizio Tsari as, as uh, that, that that club, that, that coach that you can't keep uh, keep down in this situation. So it's, look, it's it's a, another crazy summer for Milan. Uh, it's, there's always stories. There's always drama with this team. Um, I'm just hoping that it's going to be better drama and, and more uh, positive drama than negative at this point. <laughs> I think from the outside in, that would be an astounding deal for for Milan if if they could get Caldara, who's he's so highly rated. He's there's a lot of and there's a lot of Juve fans who you know they're outraged at this because it's now you're looking at a guy like Bonucci where you just left us a year ago. Now you want to come back because we got Ronaldo. Now we have this big club in Milan or in a bad spot. Now you want to come back. So now there's like the, there's it's almost like he's kind of getting pushed in between. He's like, no, you take him, no, you take him, you know, you take him. That's it's almost like that because they know that they have they don't want to part ways with these young defenders because I think Juventini realize is that they have guys who are going to be eventually retiring. They're going to eventually need to usher in a new era in the back line, and that's what Rugani, who's also linked to Chelsea, and Caldara are supposed to be for them. So it's it's very interesting. I think most Juve fans are they really don't like this move at all. And again, it's it's going to be interesting to see if it comes to uh, comes to fruition. You did speak about that three year window, right? And Bonucci does fit that mold. He is thirty years old, I believe, and uh, for the next three years, he's probably going to be still in that prime or, or near prime of his career. So I, I suppose if you do bring in Ronaldo, which is a big gamble because of the fee and because of his age, you know, he's never really been properly injured for for extreme length of time. But of course, we saw that with Zlatan Ibrahimovic as well. And age is, is undefeated, isn't it, in in the long term, if we if we look at it. Bonucci would probably shore up Juventus' defence, which was surprisingly weak last season at point, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, the statistics don't really tell the whole story because I was reading somewhere where in Europe, Juve had the second best defensive line, or I guess in terms of goals conceded, or goal, you know the defensive st- uh, statistics. But I think if you looked at you know their overall, uh, you look at their entire defensive unit and the goals they conceded, even in the Champions League, they were it was really uncharacteristic of a Juventus team that we are accustomed to seeing. You know, during you're really at the heart of this 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 seven year run they've had as, as Serie A champions. You know, the famed BBC that was also the backbone of the Italian national team really was an unbreakable force. And, you know, last year, although they were still very good defensively, uh, Chiellini was still rock solid. And, you know, Benatia was one of the better defenders defenders in Serie A as well. 
you saw signs of decline. You saw some signs of uh, leakiness. And I think that's where also Juve are, are looking, they're thinking about here is that if they get a guy like Bonucci who knows the system, he would seem, he would fit seamlessly into this squad and he would really give them that, you know, not only that defensive uh, leadership and the veteran uh, presence, but that, you know, that passing verticality, the guy to stretch the field to make things happen on that end, which they really don't have right now. So there's also that element that you have to look at. I think the, the Juve fans, if they, if they didn't know the name, Leonardo Bonucci and they were just looking at the player it's a slam dunk because obviously you know what Leonardo Bonucci could provide but just the manner in which he left Juve that's what's kind of rubs them the wrong way is that now you're looking for a safe haven you're looking to come back after the way you left last year kind of abruptly and and all that stuff for a rival mind you so and not to mention he celebrated at Allianz Stadium once he scored a goal later in the season so like all these things kind of add up to a, 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 a kind of disgust, a little of uh, an anger against Bonucci. And again, that's what makes this more difficult, uh, difficult as well uh, for Juventini to stomach because it's not, it's not so much they don't think the player can help them. It's just they don't like the way they were disrespected in, in uh, you know, the previous summer. So again, it's, it's something that's kind of odd. There's a lot of, you know, bits and pieces to kind of dissect and to run through um, involving this saga, which again, it's, it's probably only getting started. It's a complex operation for both, ty- both sides to pull off. And I think this week, uh, you know, we'll learn a little bit more about what's going to happen. Yeah, definitely one to keep our eyes on. And uh, we mentioned Higuain is, is linked to Chelsea. Going over to the Premier League, Anthony Martial is, is someone that's really being talked a lot about in the UK. Uh, and Jose Mourinho actually hit out at him again today. And uh, <laughs> he said, Anthony Martial, he had a baby. And after the baby was born, beautiful baby, full of health, thank God. But he should be here, but he is not here. So <laughs> scathing attack from... Uh, from Jose Mourinho on on Anthony Martial, he, he's just gone, you know, back to the UK to to uh, to be at the birth of his his first child, which is pretty ridiculous, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, it's it's a weird spot. I think you know, look, obviously Martial, uh, Mourinho, everyone who's involved in, in professional football, they all have a job, right? We 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 think of it as man, they got the life, like they don't have. They, 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 it's a job for, for, for we observe it as you know they're footballers to play a game but at the end of the day they get paid they have obligations they gotta be somewhere they gotta, they gotta make sure they're you know they're fulfilling their end of the deal and for Montiel again to have his you know to be there for you know the, the birth of his child I mean come on you're really gonna you can, in a preseason tour you're really gonna you know slight the guy for that I just think that Mourinho see it's this is this is not a good look for for uh, for Manchester United for Mourinho specifically because it's almost like it's is this the writing on the wall of how the season's going to go right you know it seems as though every time you know at, at year three of Mourinho that's kind of like that that year where it's like oh they win something they do pretty well and then okay it eventually just fizzles out and it ends in just disaster you wonder if that's what's going to happen here because they haven't been that active um on the transfer front obviously they did add Fred the big addition to their midfield but they're looking around and they're seeing, you know, City, they're seeing what Chelsea are doing, they're seeing what some of these Arsenal, um, Liverpool, and they're wondering, it's just like, this is not a good look for us right now. We don't look professional because of our, what our manager is saying. Now, is this going to put certain players on edge? Um, are, how is that going to affect the changing room? Are, you know, is, is, are we going to get off to a slow start? It's, it could be a domino effect and it could get ugly quick. And I think that's what's really upsetting a lot of Manchester United fans. I interact with all different fans throughout, you know, the course of a week. And, and I know Manchester United fans, I can kind of see, you know, they're kind of, 
they love their team so much, obviously, it goes without saying. So, But when they see a guy like Mourinho kind of just, you know, shamming some of these players, it's just, what is he doing? It looks like he's kind of gone off the deep end, right? That's that's how I see it. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, and another person that he slagged off was Antonio Valencia, who I think is going to be club captain this year. He said, Antonio Valencia came back from holiday. I think too much holiday for him, which is, you know, a bit ridiculous, really. He said his condition was not good enough when he, he was back. Injury and also gone back. So he's, so he's, uh, he's made that relationship with Anthony Martial even worse. And then he's gone and slagged off his club captain, which is uh, not really the best way of man management, isn't it? It's really strange. Really strange behaviour for him. He seems paranoid. He seems to not have the trust of the board anymore because I think you mentioned that they haven't really signed that many players and obviously they spent a lot of money last summer and perhaps didn't achieve as much as they were setting out to achieve this se- uh, last season. Sorry. So do the board give him another 300 million? That seems a bit excessive. and uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's 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 and, and not to mention mid season they got Alexis Sanchez. So of like course, of course. you know it's it's almost like how much more are we going to put into this guy as a coach? At some point, I usually say this about you know multiple sports is at some point if it's not working, there's a chance that it, you're, you're, it's just going to wind up you you better you're better off just blowing it up, blowing the project up uh, with that manager again. That's usually the, the first person to get kind of get um, axed. Because, again, it's easier for you to get rid of one guy than it is to get rid of you know, three or four guys um, than anything else. We saw that, obviously, you know, with Milan, and as an example, you know, there was a lot of players underperforming. Rather than getting rid of the players, because you can't do that um, in, in such a short window, obviously, there's restrictions on when you can make transfers. They got rid of the coach. They brought a coach in that the players loved and backed, and things kind of changed. So you wonder if Manchester United are heading down that situation or down that road again as well. Um, where they're looking for a manager, they're looking for a long-term replacement. Now, who that can be, not too sure at this time. I mean, again, it's it's really just tough to kind of you know, predict as to what's going to happen here. Um, does Marino last the entire season? Who knows? Uh, if they got to a slow start and they're in a deep hole, maybe they, uh, you know, the board and Manchester United pull the plug and they look for someone who can kind of get this thing going and on an interim basis maybe. But it's it's, it's kind of weird with these big clubs, you know, their leash is very short, you know. It's that's the thing, that's a crazy thing. Even with you know at Chelsea with Conte, wins the title one year, the year later he's gone. It's it's crazy. But again, I I think the way he's handling this and in certain players at this stage of the, at the season is not very good because it's getting out. Those these are the type these are the types of things, and you you can agree or disagree with me on this. These are the types of things you want to deal with behind closed doors. You don't want to be dealing. You don't want to make them public. Once it gets public, now it's a, now now it's a, it's a back and forth. Now and you, Martial may come out and say something that's you know against his manager. Uh, Valencia may come out and say something, and all of a sudden you have a feud uh, amongst yourselves, and it's just not a good look. It doesn't bode well for the rest of the guys on the team who are showing up. They are putting in the work, and they're ultimately chasing a goal that you know a couple of different people are not really helping with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no one wants to see a feud. No Man United. Well, I mean, I say no one, myself as an Arsenal fan, I I wouldn't be too opposed to seeing a feud. But Manchester United (laughs) fans don't want to see that, I don't think. And, you know, no one's really safe these days. Arsene Wenger, uh, to my understanding, wasn't kind of, you know, he was pushed out of the club. So no one is actually safe. Uh, Zinedine Zidane, it seemed quite mutual there. But I think during the season, uh, during the Real Madrid season, especially domestically, the board weren't happy. Of course, he kind of uh, won the Champions League, won the 
the uh, the three in a row Champions Leagues, which might not ever be repeated again in the, in the modern era. Which, but then that was the the perfect time for him to leave. So now you suddenly got uh, uh, you know Zidane not uh, having a job, uh, Wenger who doesn't have a job as well, and then obviously there's there's coaches like Mauricio Pochettino uh, at Tottenham who would probably interest Manchester United, uh, Ryan Giggs of course. Uh, always been touted as as the next man to to lead Manchester United, but back to Martial, surely he's he's got to go after this, right? Like I I just can't see a situation where he stays on. He's in the last two years of his contract, I believe, or maybe even the last year. I'm not sure. But the, uh, Man United have an option for for an extra additional year to extend. But does that kind of like why would you do that? Why would you extend the contract of someone that you that doesn't actively doesn't want to stay at your club? Well, the thing is with with Martial, it's, it's interesting because um, they bought him. They spent a ton of money on him a couple of years ago. Obviously, very gifted. That goes without saying. And, and he was really effective last year at, at many points. But I think it, the, the the reason why perhaps they would extend him, and, and if they were, I think it would be a signal that they're choosing a very talented, perhaps uh, pivotal, you know, fundamental piece. Uh, for the future over a manager like Mourinho because a lot of times it's it's kind of like it seems like it's going down the path where they got to choose one or the other right it's it's like okay we have a we have a really good player on our hands we don't want to give this guy up because we know what he's capable of but he's really not thriving under this manager who's struggling now and he's really publicly criticizing um you know the way he's handling uh, you know the birth of his child and, and his dedication to the team so I think you're, the Manchester United could be in a situation where if there's several players who are big components of this team that are upset or, or not happy with the way Mourinho's doing things, there could be that point in time where they say, all right, Mourinho's got to go because we have guys we want to keep. We have guys that we, we really appreciate and we really value. We're going to do that and keep them over uh, Mourinho, who we find you know is, is kind of creating a, a, a uh, uneasy environment for, for everyone involved. And I think that's where ultimately they could come to a, a, a an agreement, if you will, and, and, and say, all right, this is, we're going to extend this guy with the intention of you know, getting rid of a problem maybe like Mourinho. So that's where I can see them getting making an extension happen for uh, Martial because, again, he does have interests. He's going to continue to have interest. I mean, I've heard links with Juve. I don't know how solidified they are. But there's several teams that would line up for him, no questions asked. So it's going to be interesting to monitor. But if you asked me, I think the way things are going with Mourinho, it's not looking good and it's likely going to mean his uh, his tenure at United's over soon. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think it's identical to what happened with Chelsea in his third year where Hazard and Fabregas and a few other guys weren't really happy with him. Uh, yeah, and uh, back to Martial, I think he... Yeah, obviously Juventus links, but with Ronaldo there, I'm not sure if that will happen anymore. PSG, I don't know if they can find the money. Uh, Chelsea and Spurs have had really big... Uh, links with him as well in the in the UK. So again, as as you just stated, not going to be short of suitors, but we'll see where that one goes. Personally, uh, I agree with you. I think it will go either one way or the other. He's either going to go Mourinho or Martial is going to go, and it's a big decision for the board, and uh, one that will will you know have a massive impact on on the next season and and the future of the club. But we'll move on. We had uh, a bit of MLS. And Bundesliga news here, Alfonso Davis made a record move, a record MLS move to, to Bayern Munich. Why don't you run us through this one, Matt? Yeah, so Alfonso Davies, um, young Canadian international, uh, plays for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Very promising, very prolific, very skilled on the ball. Anyone who watches MLS would obviously see that 
when he's on the pitch, you can he stands out. And I think in MLS, it's it's not that it's easy to stand out, but when you you can notice who who the 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 good the really good players are, and you can know who the the, the bad players are. I think in MLS, it's a little bit easier to distinguish that because, in my opinion, from what I gather, there's not a ton of quality in terms of individual players, but those guys that you see like the uh, the Davies or you know. Um, you know, some guys like that, um, you can kind of see. All right, they're they're playing, uh, they're they're punching above uh, above their weight. They they can they can they're gonna they're gonna make a big move at some point down down the road. Um, and, and I think again, sure enough, again, Alfonso Davies becomes that guy. He moves to Bayern Munich, uh, record fee, I believe, something around sixteen million euro, which is crazy to think because it's is he such he's still a young kid yes and he's playing in MLS and typically a lot of these players they'll wait a couple more years or three four years and at maybe 21 22 they make a big move but I think it's kind of the Christian Pulisic effect and now hear me out here yeah obviously he's not he doesn't play in in Major League Soccer but U.S. kid um, you know he's got the North American ties he went to play and, and train in Dortmund and obviously, he's become a, a star player at such a young age for both club and country. So I think now there's a lot of teams like Bayern Munich, and you're going to start seeing more, where they start to really look at what's going on in North America and see, okay, well, wait a second, there there are some gems here. If we scout enough and we do a good enough, uh, do a good enough digging, we can find some real gems here before their value becomes astronomical and we can't afford them. I mean, Pulisic could have very easily been a guy like this, you know, years ago. If say he came to the MLS or he was in the MLS and he would have been, you know, plucked away. But when you get into that limelight, the main stage of European football, like he has, uh, Champions League football specifically, the the values skyrocket. And I think that's what Bayern are recognizing here is it's a good opportunity for them to invest in a young talent that they can uh, you have, you know, as a big as a as a piece for the future. Again, he's not going to be joining them right away, but they have control of a guy who's going to help them, um, you know, down the line. And I think this is kind of, this could possibly be a trend that we're seeing with um, European teams going towards Major League Soccer for young talent. Now, I think that's what's kind of also being, what which should also be credited, uh, there's, there's some credit that should go to Major League Soccer's recent, somewhat not complete shift, but you can start to see the transition they are going from uh, away from the older designated players, although the Wayne Rooney to uh, DC United thing would say otherwise. But the, 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 the recent model now looks as though they're going for that younger designated player, that young uh, top investment, you know, the Joseph Martinez, the Miguel Amiron, who had interest from Inter and Arsenal, um, you know, six to eight months ago. That's where I think the, the tide is, is going. And I think that's going to ultimately help the league because... If yes, if they become a league where it's kind of they're a feeder league, and then what I mean by feeder league, obviously you, they they mold a lot of young players, and then the big guys come in there and raid all their talent. I think it's not a bad look for MLS because in the grand scheme of things, MLS is still a young league. It's it's twenty something years old versus some of these teams, some of these leagues like the Premier League or La Liga or Serie A, Liga Un, Bundesliga. They're a lot older. So if if you if Major League Soccer can get that. You know, that publicity, that recognition as being a league where they can develop quite a bit of talent, I think it bodes well for them. And again, of course, for Alfonso Davies on a, on a personal level, Bayern Munich, that's a great move. I mean, that's <laughs> for a young, he's probably on cloud nine right now. I mean, he's going to be able to uh, play at the play at a club like Bayern Munich, who obviously, yeah, you know, the, 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 the league titles, the Champions League titles, just that, that tradition, that history as being, you know, the German club. Like that's that's a big move for him for sure. It really is, and it's a fee that could rise to $22 million, and he's only 17. He can't join Bayern until he's 18, 
I believe. I think that's there's some sort of stipulation there. But, but that's an incredible move for someone who was born in a refugee camp in Ghana in 2000 after his parents fled uh, a, a Liberian civil war. That's incredible. Seven, 17 years on, it's, it's a great story. And uh, rightly so, the Whitecaps, Vancouver Whitecaps co-owner Jeff Mallett said, this is a landmark transfer for our club, our country and our league. And, and it's true. I think this is these kind of things are going to help hold the MLS higher in regard and you're quite right in saying that you know that pivot to developing talent rather than getting the the Kaka the Perlo the the Zlatan the the David Beckhams and I know some some of those are necessary for the commercial side but have a blend have a blend where you actually do develop players as well you get these guys from South America as well and give them an opportunity to to actually make a name for themselves and then maybe eventually they move into Europe agree and then LAFC is doing it too you know they I guess they got Carlos Vela but they they added Diego Rossi you know young Uruguayan player who again had interests um from Europe you know there was they 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 their their, their front office uh Made that specifically clear that they were able to he was they were able to convince a guy like Diego Rossi, a young teenager, of their project of what they were looking to build in Los Angeles, and they were able to get him. And I think again it's a similar case with with the, even if you look at you want to look deep uh, look deeper with the you know the U.S. men's national team. There's a lot of young talent that the U.S. is growing. I think it's kind of in that difficult spot that. There's a lot of not a, there's not a lot of people on the outside of this country looking at it and saying oh they they're in a bad spot or you know they didn't qualify for the World Cup so you know they're they're ways away. I think there's a lot of people who look at what talents coming through the pipeline. You know the Weston McKinney's obviously Timothy Weah who plays for PSG. Um, you know those guys they're playing for the American national team like you know that's that's not that's Keaton Parks is another one I think he's on um, Benfica he's American. So like you now all of a sudden you're like these guys aren't just they're not just staying and playing at these MLS academies, they're they're playing at as a, at a young age in these big academies across Europe, and that's what I think you know as an American I want to see is I want to see these guys test themselves you know bigger challenges brighter stages and really get the spotlight on themselves which obviously will in turn bring that spotlight onto the U.S. program because although, again, it's not perfect and there's a lot of things that are wrong with the way U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation does things, I think it's there is um, there is one thing that they have uh, coming up is, you know, in, in 20, uh, 2020, 2022, they're going to have a lot of guys who are at that young age who are ready to be, you know, star players. And it's going to be interesting to see how they are able to kind of keep that pipeline moving and keep that pipeline building because it's one thing to have a group of young players and then they get up there and then okay well who else do you have coming you obviously we have to see we see it with germany we see it with some of these countries where they continue to produce 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 and they have that prolonged uh success on the international stage and i think that's what we want to see with uh, the u.s men's national team but getting back to major league soccer it's kind of goes hand in hand because obviously everyone's going to look at their you know the status of Major League Soccer and kind of compare that with what the, what's going on with the national team. Well, I mean, you want to see the U.S. men's national team do really well. I, as a, an Englishman, I'm not so sure. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, amazing deal here for, for Alfonso Davis. Actually, David Beckham and, and Colin Coward, you know, if you guys watch The, the Herd, if you're listening out there, uh, David Beckham, who's obviously got the, the Miami franchise that he's, he's launching, he was talking about how he wants to keep as much talent in MLS as possible. But Colin Coward was a, a bit like you saying that, yeah, you know, I want these guys to go out and challenge themselves and become 
become better players by having better coaching, etc., and then coming and, and showing it on the on the big stage, on the World Cup, in the uh, in international store, uh, tournaments with uh, the US men's national team, which again I guess translates onto the MLS in the long term. But I think that's all we've got time for in, to- in terms of stories, Matt. And uh, now on to our first ever player profile. Yeah, so the the first ever player profile. It's going to be uh, dedicated to a young man we talked about uh, briefly at the top of the podcast, um, young Italian international Moise Kane. Um, now, of course, for many of you guys who don't know who he is, he's a uh, Italian striker. He's playing um, in Serie A most recently in Serie A, though his status right now for next season remains to be seen because he's owned by Juventus, which obviously speaks volumes as to uh, what type of player he is, what type of talent he is. But last year he spent uh, a once a season long loan um, with Elas Verona, and despite Elas Verona get relegated and, and really obviously having their uh, struggles, he, he had a pretty good season. He was scoring goals, he was active, he was getting minutes, he was getting opportunity, and he was really showing uh, everyone what he's capable of. Uh, for for him, it's he's got a bright future. It's obvious he's going to play a big role um, in, in in the national team setup moving forward as he gets older. But uh, today, you know, at the time of recording, he, he scored two goals in the uh, UA, uh, under-19 Euro, European final against Portugal. Uh, came off the bench, looked lively, great on the ball, quick, uh, makes those charging runs. He's, he, he's, not a, he's not a frail player. He, he likes to take on players. And he's a guy that, you know, can play a little deeper and make those runs. And, and he can pass. There was a... Uh, his first goal, which was sensational, you guys can definitely gotta check that out. Uh, there was a, a he pretty much gave a little bit of a give and go uh, passed it to uh, his teammate Capone, who's also uh, who's owned by Atalanta. Back heeled it, and he had a great finish. A minute later, gets another goal. Does the uh, Mario Balotelli signature uh, flex and celebration? <laughs> I did see that, and it, it, it was it was great. And again, this it, that was him in a nutshell: the guy, the speed, the quickness, the strength, the technical ability, the dribbling ability, that you know that keen eye for goal. This is what Juventus have in Moise Kane, and, and when you're represented by Mino Raiola, uh, obviously you're going to get a lot of looks, you're going to get a lot of attention, a lot of appeal. He's going to have Juventus are going to be getting calls after this game, I'm sure. What's the availability of Moise Kane? Could we buy him? Could we get him on loan? What's the deal here? Of course, you're going to have to deal with Mino Raiola and his his madness. Um, but in any case, he's, he's, he's a great player, great talent, and a guy that, you know, if he just continues to dedicate himself and just kind of stay focused and, and stay grounded, he's going to become a star someday. I, I truly believe that. Gun to your head, Matt. Where's he going to be playing next season? Whew, that's interesting. I, I definitely would have liked to see him stay in Serie A. I think that's a, it was just a great fit for him. Again, he didn't play, you know, he wasn't a full-time starter for Elas Verona, but he scored some sensational goals. He looked very strong in a team that really didn't have that much talent around him. And for a young teenager to shine that much while not having that supporting cast, again, it speaks volumes to the quality of player he is and what type of ceiling he has. If I had to say, I think he would probably want to uh, staying in Syria at a team, you know, bottom of the table. I would say maybe as a as a backup option. Um, teams, it's kind of tough to say because things are, are still kind of you know panning out, and teams are still trying to iron out what their squad's going to look like. 
But, you know, I'd like to see him at a team like, uh, you know, a Cagliari or like a Udinese who, again, they could always use some attacking, you know, spark um, and a guy who can just bury goals. So maybe a program like that where it's a good environment to grow. I think that's one of the biggest things here is that, yes, he can get minutes, but also an environment where he can he can continue to progress and continue to grow as a, as a uh, young footballer. Because at this age, minutes and opportunity and, and, and the surrounding environment are just very key for him. Yeah, I guess you want to see him stay in Serie A, but he's also been linked to Monaco and Leeds United, weirdly, in the championship. So obviously Leeds United are owned by the same uh, guys that own Udinese. So I guess there's that Italian link there. They're, they're trying to sound him out and see what they can do there. But Monaco would be an interesting one, uh, you know, f- f- following the sort of footsteps of his countryman uh, Pellegri. So uh I don't know, maybe I still think there's probably a few players ahead of him there if he did go to Monaco, though you've still got Falcao, who of course has been rumoured to, to be going, but you've also got Keita Balde, who's playing more of a number nine role there. You've got, uh, I've just mentioned Pellegri, who's, who's going to be wanting to play soon, so maybe that wouldn't even be the best move for him. I think you're right, maybe a mid-table to lower lower league team in Serie A would be great for him. Yeah, I really do think. I think that's ultimately what's going to wind up happening. Again, Monaco, um, for many reasons, obviously, would be a great landing spot for him. We saw what Pietro Pellegri moved from Genoa to uh, Monaco in January. I think it was a 25 million euro move. Juventus wanted him badly as well. He went up choosing Monaco. I think it was kind of clear that you know you, uh, Juve really weren't going to be able to present him the same opportunity um, immediately on. And most likely, if he went to Juve, Juve probably would have loaned him back out for a year or two at Genoa. So now he gets the opportunity to play for Monaco, a team that obviously is in the Champions League, um, a team that you know gets a lot of attention because they do such a great job of developing talent. Um, as well, so again, I think for you know me speaking for on the Italian side of things and what I would like to see Moise Keane do, I'd like to see him stay in Italy because he's he's an exciting player and we like to see our we like to keep our own we like to keep these young guys with us and I feel like you know when we lost Lucas Torreira to Arsenal and all these younger guys, it's kind of like I want to keep some of these guys like I don't want to lose them I like watching them so like, that's kind of <laughs> my, my 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 greediness and my selfishness with uh with wanting him to stay. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly excited to be watching uh, Luca Torreira next season. But Matt, what type of player would you compare Moise Keane to? I mean, the 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 the, the first comparison that most people are going to go towards is Mario Balotelli. I think it's 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 a <laughs> especially pre- after the celebration, right? Yeah, it, well, no, even before that, it's a it's a pretty fair comparison for several reasons. Again, he's got the size, he's got the strength, he's got that technical ability, he's got the the uh, you know the presence in the penalty area to be clinical and do all these different things that you know you want from a striker now. But and also the fact that he's also represented by Mino Raiola, it's it's kind of like they're all in that same little group, right? You know, Gianluigi Donnarumma, uh, you know, these 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 teenage once teenage sensations. I mean, Donnarumma is still a teenager, of course. But I, I think again, the biggest, the closest comparison is probably Mario Balotelli. But I think I think he's got a little bit more. Um, a little bit, not more of a mean streak because we obviously know Mario Balotelli's got a, he had a temper. Not <laughs> I right was going to say, he's, how, he's, he's very how, how mean, how mean is Moise Keane if he's got more of a mean streak? I, if like the closest thing would be Mario Balotelli, but it's tough for me to really compare him to anyone because he's a guy that at this age, he has so much confidence in, in himself and his ability that, you know, he, he, again, he likes going into encounters. He likes taking on guys. Today, he was taking on, you know, three to four guys, you know, dancing on the ball. You know, again, he had all those little, like, young Barrio Balotelli, like, not that cockiness, but a little bit of that, that, that like, that, that, that self-belief that he can beat three guys and get by and, and score a goal. That type of thing that he shows is just the closest thing would be Mario Balotelli, but... 
I like I don't like too much labeling players in comparison because I feel that you know there's certain things that they pick up and they sometimes change that you know that perception that people have. It's like they look at him like, okay, he's big, he's technically savvy, he's he's quick. Oh, he's Mario Balotelli, or or you know Lucas Torreira was the same thing. Oh, he's short, he can pass, he plays the same role. Marco Verratti, like I, I feel like the labels, it's kind of tough to really you know c- continue to apply them. But if I had to say, it's it's Mario Balotelli. He's probably the closest. Although again, things can change um, as he gets older because I think he's a guy who. You know, he has a dribbling ability. Maybe he can play on the wings a little bit, or maybe he can play as like a second striker. So he has that flexibility there as well. Matt, come on, man. I mean, we love comparing people to players. Like, I, <laughs> I love seeing articles when it's like the next Messi. It's like a YouTube compilation thing to do. It's just like, who is he compared to? It's like, oh, this guy's compared to like the young Lionel Messi. Like, we heard that with Bojan Kirkic. It's just <laughs> like, what? Like, come on. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's going to wrap up the first episode of this, the State of Play podcast. Uh, Matt, where can people find out more about you, man? Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Uh, my gifts, my banter, my articles, my content, uh, more podcast appearances. I'm on, I'm on several feels like every week. Anything I'm doing, you guys can find me there. So make sure you guys are following. Nice, man. And obviously you can follow us together at the at State of Play pod. That's P-O-D, State of Play pod. And if you've got any like business inquiries, you want to collaborate, you want to sponsor the podcast, head at, uh, you can just email us at stateofplaypod at gmail.com and for me if you want to follow me you can follow me at pet barisha uh, on twitter so that's p-e-t then barisha b-e-r-i-s-h-a and yeah you can catch me probably doing some more football related tweets some gifts some maybe slightly less funny banter than that but it will get there <laughs> And uh, yeah, hopefully you guys can check us out and uh, give us some feedback. If you, if you enjoyed it, do, do leave a review and tell your friends about it. Subscribe on, on iTunes or your favorite podcast client.